to do? Making a video. Making a video. Welcome to a very special edition of Rank and Review. What you are about to listen to is part one of a two-part Friday the 13th retrospective. Lee Beckman, a returning guest, and your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons are going to look at 12 Friday the 13th films. And we are going to rank them from our favorite to our least favorite. Um, this is going to take more than one episode, but, uh, just so as you don't think I never did anything nice for you, you will not have to wait two weeks for part two. In fact, the second edition will come in exactly one week from today. So, for those Crystal Lake fans out there, I think you're in for a treat. And as usual, expect spoilers, expect coarse language, and expect to enjoy the show. Good day and welcome to a very special edition of Ranking Review. Yeah. It's special in that oh, there's a lot of love in the room right now, and it's special that it is born out of a, a good idea from Lee ben- Beckman. Thank you. That is unfortunately mired by tragedy. Yeah, well, should, should we talk about that we, thing? We should. We should? Okay. Yeah. About two months ago and a little bit, I went to Regina to visit my good friend Lee. Yes, and, and I had plans. We marathoned every episode, of, or every installment of Friday the 13th, yeah. and we reviewed them. And unfortunately, the recordings of those reviews were lost by yours truly. Don't feel uh, bad. Just a, one, of, one bad click of the mouse, and what am I doing? But it was too late. And uh, we lost the reviews. Uh, at the end of this epic series of reviews, you will hear the ranking of the movies... And you will hear the Jerry Awards of all of the movies that we discuss. Mm-hmm. And that's authentic. That's to the day. Mm-hmm. But right now, Lee and I are sitting down to re-review all of the Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, you, you know what I miss most of all? I, I, I'll just cut you off here because yeah. I don't want, I want you to feel that bad. Because you know I love you. <laughs> but the only thing I, I, I sort of like a little disappointed that I won't be able to re-hear is the fact that we were really really brain dead by the way number seven yeah. well first it of hurt all, this this actually hurt doing this let's set the stage let's yeah. be real like it was ridiculously hot yeah right there wasn't we didn't have ac yeah we had fans i remember begging you to not turn on the stove one night you were th- talking about making lasagna or something yeah and i was like anything that involves not turning <laughs> on the stove would be awesome uh but we we didn't do it all in one day it was over a three-day period that we went, worked our way through these but we did stop to play some video games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, and you know, take the dog for a walk yeah. and things like this. <laughs> I think that would have been interesting to listen to again, and I never got that opportunity because yeah. you would probably hear a noticeable decline in energy. <laughs> yeah, no, like it, it, it was sort of grueling. You know, we mm-hmm. did sort of hurt ourselves watching this. Like yeah. I felt, 
I felt dumber. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, agree. I'll agree to that. So I don't know if it's going to help or hinder that we're re-reviewing them. It's going to make the conversation seem less fresh to you and I. Yeah. And, uh, you know, am I going to get everything having it not seen them? It's been two months separation. Yeah, no, they're still and vivid in my memory. Watching them all together, there's a percentage of blurring together. So I'm hoping that that's not going to come into play. But um, we're here. We're drinking out of Friday the 13th glasses. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to talk about all eight of the Paramount yep. Friday the 13th movies. The four, is am I right? Uh, the three, three new line movies? The three new line and then there's a new Paramount uh, mixed with... The remake and of course Freddy vs. Jason. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I think there's three new line. So that would put the tally at 12 Friday the 13th movies? I do believe so. There's Which means, <laughs> Jesus, you guys, make another one. <laughs> so it'll 12 be... 12 Friday the 13th <laughs> movies, is that what we're going to do? It'll be 13, 13, 13. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's time. Well, okay. here we are. <laughs> Thank Let's you begin. for doing this again. Uh, is there fine. anything else you want to say by way of introduction before we start with Friday the 13th? Part one. <laughs> this in itself is gonna hurt. We're gonna be talking a whole lot of Jason. That's that's what I'm excited about. Anyways, um, well, before we jump into it, I just want to, because I know we've already recorded an introduction yeah. once before. But yeah. What do you think the appeal is of Friday the Thirteenth? Because there's you know been. <laughs> The ten movies and the remake and the Freddy vs. Jason, like, yeah. uh, obviously anything that produces that much is popular. It justifies yeah. there being another chapter in yeah. spite of the quality of the one before. Yeah. <clears throat> but there's plenty of movies about mass killers killing people. Yeah. <clears throat> what is it about Friday the 13th, do yeah. you think? Um, I think part of it is its familiarity. Uh, the fact that they're really like sort of a cinematic McDonald's Happy Meal. You know what you're getting at least. There's, you know, things are, that are it's bread and bu- bread and butter. Yeah. Um, the first one, it's kind of Hollywood's kind of a weird, strange thing. What people sort of latch onto. I mean, even before Friday the Thirteenth, there was plenty of slashers. I think the filmmakers were smart enough to realize that Jason was their hero. <laughs> you were rooting for Jason. I think that that turn, that sort of realization... Yeah, well, we'll talk about endure. it when it happens. Yeah. <clears throat> but I do think there is a fairly clear dividing line in the series yeah. where Jason turns from sort of villain to protagonist Yeah. in, in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I think there is a ritual thing. I think there is part of the, the cabin in the woods kind of nailed that sort of yeah. idea that it's it's a meal that you know what you're getting. It's like a McDonald's Happy Meal, or yeah. or, or it does the same service that some people get out of a romantic comedy. Yeah. When you go to a romantic comedy, you know that there's going to be a girl who wants to be with a boy. Yeah. But that boy's wrong with her, and the real boy she should be with is right in front of her, and she just can't see it. Yeah. And in the end, in spite of all the odds working against it, you know what? It works out for the two of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, formula, but people will flock to that just because it's. They know what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Friday the 13th. Uh, it's an uncomplicated recipe. This is sex and violence. Yes. Period. Yes. And uh, unlike the ones, and this is sort of what distinguished it originally in the yeah. 80s, unlike the ones that came before, but it's not like we're just going to give you a flash of a nipple here or yeah. a butt cheek there or uh, we're going to show the, the, the killer, you know, about to strike. Friday the 13th comes correct with the gore and the nudity, and it yeah. doesn't pretend to be about anything sort of about, you know, these yeah. young, typically, you know, 
empty, horny young teenagers yeah. going someplace they shouldn't yeah. and being killed. And, and that, uh, one usually altruistic, virginal, you know, <laughs> leading lady usually manages to save the day or at least survive. Yeah. Yeah. You know what you're getting, and if you're in the mood to, you don't want to be challenged by something, you want to watch something while you slowly drift off, you know, yeah. uh, the reek of familiarity. Uh, I, have a, I have a kind of a, a bit of a love for Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. and even though it's, you know, epically uncomplicated, especially when you compare it to things like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. there's a lot more imagination and sort of a fantasy element to yeah. it. Uh, this is just bluntly simple, and yeah. there's just it's effective. Yeah, it's like it's like a blues riff or something like that. Yeah. It sounds easy, but you got to know how to write that lick, and you got to know how to play it. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. Well, people just fall in love with weird characters once in a while, and Jason Voorhees is very much that. The fact that, in a lot of ways, that he's yeah, he's definitely the the protagonist of the series. Eventually, yeah. what the fuck is that? Got some construction on Eighth Street. Really? Or gunfire? Or fireworks? It sounds like fireworks. Or Jason? Eleven. Twelve. Friday, the thirteenth. You may only see it once. But that will be enough. Friday, the 13th. Okay, so Friday the 13th, part one. A little bit of context here. This is the very early 80s. um, And uh, Halloween has happened. A low so budget Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, a low budget horror movie has made a shit ton of money mm-hmm. in mainstream theaters, and uh, yeah, it's not a midnight movie. It's not a drive-in hit. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to see this movie, and then they're going to tell their friends, and they're bringing them to come back. Yeah. And uh, I think the original conceit, and I think that the filmmakers of Friday the Thirteenth will admit to this if you ask them, was let's do our Halloween. Let's sort yeah. of rip off Halloween and. Yeah. You know, make our money because yeah. they've been trying to do. Sean Cunningham had been trying to do uh, kids' features and uh, you know TV pilots for several years mm-hmm. to varying degrees of unsuccess. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came up with the concept or just the title Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. commissioned a script, and put together this very very low bread budget, again appallingly simple story mm-hmm. of a group of kids who go to a place that they shouldn't. Learn of a lo- of unpleasant local history and die. Um, although I do think that this movie stands out in a lot of ways from the rest of them. Obviously, there's a lack of Jason in this episode, mm. but it is kind of a, a who done it yeah. in a lot of. It's ways. Ten Little Indians by Agatha Christie is what it really is. Yeah, um, it sort of stands out a little bit brighter and, and bolder because of the presence of Tom Savini. Yeah. Uh, yes. Another good decision of the production. What, what, what was the movie he did before that? Dawn of the Dead was the thing that had established him, yeah. and somebody in the production had seen Dawn of the Dead and said, who did that? Let's try and get that guy, and enter, like I say, Tom Savini. Uh, he only works uh, in parts one and four in this franchise, but uh, 
I, I'm an admirer of his prosthetic effect work. Yeah. Um, it seems lately Savini is more in the business of being Tom Savini than doing the, the effects. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I love his old prosthetic effects. I think they look great. <clears throat> no, no, he, he was definitely an artist. Um, I, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, when I, when I think of, you know, the original Friday the 13th is, you know, sort of how lovable Sean S. Cunningham sort of comes across. He's very, he's very, very honest. Yeah. In a lot of ways, he's kind of like a Roger Corman or I'm trying to think who else could be sort of, but that sort of, you know, not quite Ed Wood, but... He wants to make a movie, and he's making it with minimal means, yeah. you know? Um, but he wants to sort of play with the big boys. Yeah. Um, and every now and then, there seems to be this reinvigoration of independent cinema, mm -hmm. and then it dies out for a while, and then it gets reinvigorated again, and then it dies out. And this seems to be one of those up waves, mm -hmm. where everybody sort of felt like, yeah, we can compete as long as we have product that people want to see, you mm -hmm. know? They will, they will come, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, let's make our Halloween. <laughs> let's make our slasher movie, but we're going to distinguish ourselves, whereas Halloween, if you watch it now, is almost a PG movie. There's, yeah. there's you know... There's definitely some sex. And there's some sex, but there's really tame violence. Like, what you see on the average episode of, you know, The Walking Dead or something yeah. nowadays is way worse than anything that you'll see in Halloween. Yeah. Um, but it's again, it's more the suspense, the atmosphere, and that yeah. mask, and yeah. that you know, Mike Myers tilting his head. Yeah. Um, but they same template. You know, <laughs> we don't hear any words from this killer. We don't know who the killer is yeah. until the third act of the movie. And yeah. even when she starts talking, we don't realize that she's the killer. Yeah. So uh, really, the, the second she showed up uh, on the screen, I was well, like, <laughs> okay, I will restate that we're not yeah. supposed to realize that yeah. she is the killer. But uh, uh, typical of '80s uh, slasher movies, we have yeah. uh, attractive young actors who are getting their first kick at the can, mm -hmm. and this is going to be something we're going to run into throughout this marathon. Um, Sometimes they're good and comfortable in front of the camera, and sometimes they're awkward and uncomfortable in front of the camera. Yeah. And sometimes they have lines that make sense and can come out naturally, and sometimes they're really dealt a hard hand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody loudly sucks in this movie, but nobody's really amazing either. There's no. not, like, one performance that really stands out. I think the most... Oh, I think there are performances that stand out. Maybe well, not in the, a good way. There's but. this... The old man, the creepy... Yeah. What was his name? Fred? I can't remember. Franker. Yeah, uh, who tells them that there's a death curse. Yes. Uh, he is definitely playing it big, yeah. you know? Um, but in a way, he's got his own kooky charm, too. Yeah. Um, anyway, I feel like I'm running over you. What are your thoughts on Friday the 13th Part 1? Uh, well, I, like I said, the first thing that comes to mind, you know, with Friday the 13th is just, you know, how lovable Sean S. Cunningham comes across. Oh, no, I also, like I said, his honesty. Um, this is al this is also the sort of second time we're seeing Kevin Bacon in a mainstream movie. I remember actually sort of reading an interview about when he's talking about that and how in one fell summer in one you know sort of quick swift summer uh, he was into his sort of two of the biggest movies yeah. of that year in one summer he had of course um, well Friday the Thirteenth but also Animal House right. Yeah, and it just sort of needed to how you know his life sort of exploded right from there. Yeah. So it you know it has its charm and appeal. In a lot of ways, it's probably one of the better made Friday the Thirteenth movies. I mean, there is a certain skill to it. 
Um, it's bare bones, but it's yeah. efficiently enough done. Yeah. Um, there are things that definitely speak of the low budget, and there are some things that we would not see now that are maybe for the best. Mm-hmm. A snake sacrifices its life yeah. for this movie. Yeah. They actually cut an actual snake in yeah. half on camera. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of troubling and disturbing. We're not used to seeing that now. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was not a prop. That was a snake. That was yeah. not a rubber machete. That was yeah. <laughs> a machete clunk. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's some ick factor there. Yeah. But uh, in a way, other than the fact that they killed a snake, I like that they started small with something like as creepy as you know a snake in in, in a bedroom in a cabin. Yeah. One of the sort of paranoid things that people would have about going camping, you know, sn- spiders and snakes and and, and and that sort of paranoia. Uh, and I like the idea of starting small and yeah. seeding that into the, the screenplay. You don't see a lot of subtlety in Friday the 13th, so, you know, I yeah. can, I'll take what I can get here. Yeah. Um, but as far as the dialogue between the young, horny teens, you know, I could criticize it, but it's pretty low-hanging fruit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I <Yeah. laughs> know. Uh, yeah, the acting is very sort of stilted with a lot of them, but... And again, there's nothing innovative. They do have a, a, a whole sequence where we see a young hitchhiker coming to Crystal Lake and mm-hmm. giving us our setup, but she doesn't make it to the cabin. She gets killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that would seem somewhat innovative, but uh, again, we'd seen it before, you know, yeah. that sort of psycho kill. Yeah. We think she's the lead kill- character, but she's not. Mm-hmm. Um, they're stealing from different sources, but they're pretty much stealing in every corner. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not, like I said, they're not hiding anything. But um, it's, again, the execution. The, mm-hmm. uh, you know, typically we'd see the killer move his arm or maybe we'd even see a little bit of blood drip, but mm-hmm. we see her throat open up and blood spill and we see her sort of slide down the tree, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think it can be overstated the impact of that, you know spear coming up through Kevin Pakin's chest yeah. would have had when if you saw that in 1980 in the yeah I mean, we talked about that actually I remember talking or talking about this you know when we actually did it the first time yeah um, where you know the people were probably very shocked by the violence back in 1980s because it was you know it really hadn't been that graphically done and I think they'd had Alien before that and yeah. I can't help but think that might have been part of the inspiration for it yeah. but People did not expect the gag. Yeah. There was Kevin Bacon was kneeling in a hole in the floor, and mm-hmm. his entire body was a prosthetic, mm-hmm. and that spear, arrow, whatever it was, coming right through his chest, mm-hmm. and that fountain of blood sticking out of, mm-hmm. yeah. It also establishes very quickly the template, which will again be revisited throughout the franchise of sex and violence, typically in yeah. that order. Yeah. If you sneak off to have sex with your girlfriend, you have just sentence yourself to death yeah it, you know in that scenario on the Friday the 13th you're lucky if you manage to have sex before you are killed that's like the best case scenario yeah <laughs> um yeah there's a weird I think unintentional sort of morality thing to the yeah. Friday the 13th franchise where, yeah again like they say in the Scream franchise don't be an asshole don't drink, don't yeah. do drugs, and don't have sex. Jason, in a lot of ways, is probably, you know, you know the token Republican where he's killing all the, you know, the teenagers that send him. Yeah. I, I, I sort of like that argument. But I mean, Jason's not even in this movie. So spoilers. Yeah. That the real killer is Pamela Voorhees. Yes. Um, Betsy Palmer yeah. plays this woman. And uh, 
Her son, of course, everybody knows this, but we'll say it out loud anyway. Her yeah. son drowned. Yeah. Uh, the, the counselors who should have been looking after him were apparently too busy looking after each other. Yeah. <laughs> and um, again, they, they establish the sex as bad yeah. and evil needing to be punished. Yeah. And she sort of stays at the, the camp or in the neighborhood. And when she finds out they're reopening it, yeah. she wants none of it. Yeah. And uh, she kills these these kids off before they can kill another poor innocent camper yeah <laughs> is she the hero of the story no no, no she is not no, no, no. she's definitely the villain <coughs> so before we you know get any further we should probably talk about our survivor girl what did you think of our survivor girl because there are many in this series yeah um uh, adrian king uh, i think she's adequate for the role yeah. for this period yeah again she's not quite the full-fledged strong ripley character yeah she is She's still pure, and she keeps her head on her shoulders mm -hmm. because she's not distracted by her libido. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if that's all it takes to distinguish her from the rest of the group, you know, it, it, she sort of seems like a teenager in a group of toddlers in that respect, yeah. right? Like, yeah, you're, you're better and smarter than the rest of these, but let's be real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but I think she's fine. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, she sets the template. Yeah, she does. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm not like a big, wow, it was an amazing performance. Yeah. It changed my world. <clears throat> um, I know that she uh, has had difficulties subsequently because she was like stalked and shit as yeah. a result of being in the movie. And um, as we will discuss, she kind of got short shrift for the sequel. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But uh, what did you think of Shaunas Cunningham as a director? Uh, I think that it's very like, uh, like I say, get the job done yeah. slap and paste you know yeah. uh, um, there there was not any sort of fancy over stylish technique and yet there was nothing distracting me out of the very simple story that I was being served um, I think the pace is gen generally a little slower than yeah. we're going to see in some of the subsequent Friday the 13th movies yeah. but again this is not your typical Friday the 13th movie. And in spite of it being the establishing film, we don't have the hockey mask. We don't yeah. have Jason Voorhees as we will come to know and love him. Yeah. What we do have is the sex and violence. We have the kills. We yeah. have the teenagers. We have yeah. camp blood. Yeah. You know, uh, the world is being introduced, but the star has still yet to sort of step out from the wings of the stage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is all prologue. In a weird way, this could have been a prequel, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it's kind of like when they did do the remake; they didn't make the remake of Friday the Thirteenth about Jason's mom killing a bunch of kids. Yeah, they knew for the remake that we wanted Jason, we wanted the mask, we wanted yeah. the machete. You know. Yeah. Um, I guess you know it can be argued it's fairly early movie for that, that had some real girl power to it. Yeah. The climactic moments is two women having some pretty serious fisticuffs on a beach. Yeah. And again, I don't think they had any proper stunt coordinators. I bet you they were both beaten and bruised after sh shooting that scene. Yeah. And there's the of course uh, famous decapitation sequence. Yeah. Uh, where. Uh, you can see a very hairy, be-knuckled hands reaching up to clutch for a head that is not there. Yeah. It's still a good convincing effect, but yeah. it's one of those sort of bloopers that once you notice it, you can't yeah. not notice it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, 
it's a fun, decent enough movie, but I mean, is it a classic horror movie? Well, in some ways it is. I mean, the, we have to give props to the fact that this this movie has spawned, what, seven more? Mm-hmm. So, so it is a horror, horror classic. It's essentially, you know, solidified the genre of slasher films being... Not uh, very, very popular. Yeah, this opened the floodgates. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there were other movies in the works, yeah. but there was probably a lot of people who thought that Halloween was a bit of a, sort of a freak, yeah. sort of, yeah. They got lucky that time, but no, the appetite was whetted, and the time was right. People yeah. were ready for some horror movies. Yeah. And we are happy enough, still early enough in the days of the Friday the 13th, where the uh, MPAA hasn't taken an interest in yeah taking their knives to the Friday the 13th. Uh, unfortunately, at least in the Paramount years, the later we get in the series, sort of the less they start being able to get away with that yeah. point. But I think this is a completely adequate slasher movie. Yep. Uh, I, I, there's nothing loudly bad to say about it, but if there wasn't a whole chain of Friday the 13th beyond this, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much it distinguishes itself from mm-hmm. what became before. It's unabashedly a knockoff, and yeah. that's okay. You can be that. You know, We should also talk about the red shirts in this movie. I mean, you know, the kids do have a presence in this film. We do have a young Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Uh, our survivor glow is not that bad, but there was other you know people in it, like you know the victims. We had that sort of older, creepier, you know, you know, head camper or head counselor who got the feeling like he wanted to make the moves on Adrian King, or they had some sort of vague history. But yeah. happily, they didn't delve too deep into that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't necessarily numbed or bored by the character exposition, but I knew right away who the sheep were and who the fighters were. <laughs> right. I I mean I can relate to that area of or, or that sort of time in my life where you know. It was all about the party. It was all about having fun. Even if you did have a job, the job was still vaguely a party to you. You're not really taking everything serious. But I've never take, tipped it so far as to, you know, hate hate these characters for that, you know? Mm-hmm. I still think there's something vaguely charming about uh, some unloved teenager on a quest to get laid. Some people will say that that's, you know, shallow and whatever. Yeah. But as a premise in both a comedy and a horror movie, it has proved to work again and again, again and again. again. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't think there's anything about these characters that distinguish them or make them that memorable uh, to shine brighter than anyone else in the series. I mean, can you name any of the characters' names? Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what these movies are about. No. Um, it brought the sex, it brought the violence, uh, we had the, the showdown with Betsy Palmer, Yeah, and uh, it, it's an efficient enough thriller. I think it overperformed. I think that people... Oh would, no, it was definitely a surprise that it did. It would be it, fair it did, to it say well that... It did. Yeah. Much like Saw. I think this is a better movie than Saw, but it, 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 uh, in its own way, or as, as for the type of movie it is, but... Mm. Saw's an okay, adequate, whatever, serial killer movie. But for some reason, it made way more money than it should have. And that's exactly sort of what we see here with this first Friday the 13th. Um, It doesn't know that it's a franchise. It doesn't know that it's establishing rules and that it will need to follow them, you know? Mm -hmm. And happily, because we're only one movie in, we don't have continuity issues to deal with. The most uh, significant kills, memorable kills, we talked about the throat being slit with the yeah. lady against the tree. But uh, there's also a good axe kill. <laughs> One takes an axe to the face. Mm-hmm. 
we don't actually see there's an off-screen death by bow and arrow i mm-hmm. guess um but i think that loudly the best and most obvious choice for best kill from the first movie is kevin bacon just for the the shock effect and just the execution is pretty good mm-hmm. um maybe some side points for the decapitation of betsy palmer because i think that again that would be one of those things that when you saw it when it came out you hadn't really seen something like that before so uh do credit there but uh the kevin bacon one is is very memorable so that's where i would give it mm-hmm. you have sex and you die you know he had sex i believe he was about to smoke a joint didn't he reach over to smoke a j or yeah. a cigarette or something and then all of a sudden you're done I mean, the only good thing he gets, other than the fact that he got to have a sex person, would be a fairly quick death. <laughs> All right, and credit where credit is due. I, th- I like that shot where they're making love and they pan up above, and then the bunk directly above them, there's a dead body that they somehow failed to notice. <laughs> Classic. Mm-hmm. But overall, I would say a solid, you know... C plus edging on a V. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that it's considered a classic, but it's more sort of the history around the film and well, what what it sort of gave birth to yeah. than the movie itself. It is sort of interesting that uh, you know what what people sort of kind of people flock to because let's be perfectly honest, the Friday the Thirteenth movies are not great movies. <laughs> the, you know, the great Friday the Thirteenth movies, but They're somehow, great. somehow, the, the you know the public sort of you know devoured it for some reason. I mean, this is a society that the Twilight movies are made popular and. They're yeah. great if you let them be great, if you yeah. make them, you know, great in your head. If you're a fan of this, yeah. The same way to some people, you know, some Catherine Heigl romantic comedy is yeah. really something to get excited about. It's in the, we're not the target audience for that. Somebody else is going to do a podcast about you know all of Sandra Bullock's rom coms, and that'll be great for them. And mm. you know, <laughs> this is our Friday the Thirteenth one, and uh, I'm glad Friday the Thirteenth exists. But mm. I'm not going to stand here and say that this movie is amazing because uh, it would just be lying. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. June night in 1980, Friday the 13th, 12 of her friends were murdered. Why should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14. Shall we, shall we talk about the tragedy of Friday the 13th Part 2? Part 2. Um, well, it, it, this is a trend-setting series, you know. It establishes a lot of things. I believe, and maybe you're, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I believe that Friday the 13th Part 2 might have actually made it to theaters before Halloween 2 did. <laughs> or if not, it was a close neck-and-neck race. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they are probably close because, yeah, Halloween 2 was also 82. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Anyway, uh, sequels did not fare well in the 80s. Yes. But things that became familiar templates of sequels are established here. Yeah. Um, partly because of Hollywood, you know, backstage dealing. Yeah. If a movie overperforms... 
the uh, performer's agents, you know, will ask for a lot more money the second time round. Yeah. And if the studio is still looking to make a big greedy return, they don't want to pay, you know, A-list money to, to get it. Instead of bringing them back, <laughs> yeah, they will just hire them for a day and kill them off. Yeah. So a lot of times in this Friday the Thirteenth and other franchises, you'll see this again and again. Uh, the character will return for one scene, yeah. and then you know a new cast is introduced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rinse, repeat, recycle. This is definitely the case with part two, but it's not just problematic that they randomly kill off Adrian King. Okay, that that's the first thing I'm going to call bullshit on with it, this movie. Yeah, it, it, but it's not just, that's what I was saying, yeah. problematic with the killer. They don't know who Jason is. They're still sort of finding their feet. Yeah. But everything about the prologue or the opening to this movie works against what we will soon come to understand as the rules of Jason Voorhees. Yeah, you know what I call bullshit on about that? Yeah. Is the fact that you know, for that to really work, Jason Voorhees had to at least... Because we assume at this point that Jason's just kind of a mongoloid, sort of weird barbarian, you know, <laughs> bastard child that's wandering the wilderness. The fact that, you know, he would have to, you know... I can buy the fact that at least Crystal Lake, even though it goes against the whole set of rules, but, you know, it's then for the series, you know, it, it stays at Crystal Lake. I mean, yeah. he, he has to leave Crystal Lake, and I kind of go... Okay, how do you do that? You'd have to go into a store, buy a new pair of shoes and <laughs> relatively respectable-looking clothes that he could sort of at least walk within sort of public at least at night. You'd have to track her down. Yeah, you would have to be you know. And I call bullshit. You have to that. buy maybe a bus ticket. Yeah. Or, 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 or yeah. Look up an address and a phone book. You know, people walk by him actually yeah. in the movie. You know, it's nothing that the. Nothing about this scene makes sense. It's yeah. like a dream sequence. I remember seeing Adrian King interviewed, and, and she said in her head, it wasn't Jason that killed her. It was somebody else. Yeah. Because it just does no part of that really makes sense. Yeah. Um, it might have been sour grapes on her part, too, because she wasn't happy with the experience of part two. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. It's dumb. Yeah. It, it, it it shoots the first movie a little bit in the foot by undoing anything. You know what, like, you know what they could have done is the fact that, you know, start the movie... You know, ten hours after you, you know the the first one sort of ends, and she's still at the camp, and Jason's clearly, you know, comes out of the wilderness to, you know, you know, kill her, kill her at least at Camp Blood. Or you know, fast forward a couple of years, yeah. and she's been in therapy. She's and brought back to she it. She comes back to the lake to convince herself that her vision of the little boy jumping out of the lake was just that a vision, yeah. and when she shows up. Jason is waiting and kills her dad. Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. There were other things they could do. In their defense, they didn't know what they had yet. They didn't yeah. know who Jason was. Jason didn't have a hockey mask. Yeah. Um, all they had, basically, was a silent killer. Yeah. Again. They were keeping that same template. But Betsy Palmer, Mrs. Voorhees, is dead and in the ground. And the only thing that the, the first movie left open which we didn't really talk about in our first review, was the little boy Jason jumping out of the water, the jump scare that yeah. finishes Friday the 13th Part 1. Yeah. Um, sort of uh, the big leave him laughing moment at the end of the film. Um, so they sprung onto that. It was Jason. But it's never implicitly said, did Jason die? Did, uh, d did he just somehow survive and then didn't go home, just started wandering the woods in a daze? Yeah. Uh, like... 
we're not quite sure where we land on this Jason. Yeah. And this Jason is clearly fully grown. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, he, he's a big boy, this one. I guess that in and of itself implies some kind of supernatural event because this isn't that far ahead of time-wise yeah. after the, the first film. Yeah. Amy Steele plays the lead of this movie. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things I remember in our delirious <laughs> first crack at this marathon in yeah. your very, very hot uh, home was complaining about was Amy Steele a likable character? <laughs> yes, this is the this survivor. Movie. Are we talking about the survivor girl of this movie? Correct. Oh no, she's a terrible person. She's a horrible, horrible dude. And she's not even a pure sort of survivor girl because she does smoke weed in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, she's in it for herself. Need to mention that she essentially leaves her boyfriend to die. Yeah. She she does a lot of the really sort of cliche bad chicky things where yeah. she is paralyzed and just stands there and watches something horrible happen to someone, mm-hmm. or you know she screams and gives away her position, or, or you know yeah. she's sort of semi hysterical. Like at the end of the day, she does make some decisions which you know help her overcome Jason, yeah. and she is victorious, but. The only thing sloppier than the beginning of this movie yeah, is, is the, the ending, ending of this, this movie. movie does, yeah, it, it's almost like sort of the makers of this, of this film sort of ran out of, out of money and sort of you know, as in the time and said, "All right, let's wrap it up." And then you know, they, they, like, how could you even explain the ending of that movie? It was just like, was it all a dream or what? I don't know. What? How would you? Well, again, we'll, we'll, let's work our way to it because we'll, we'll get there. Amy Steele is established. She shows up late is and totally is kind of herself. indignant about it. Yeah. Uh, she knows that the uh, the guy there kind of has a crush on her yeah. and she kind of toys with him the way a cat does a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and uh, she's not crappy to the other characters necessarily, but they don't establish anything about her character that makes us say, yeah, she is a survivor or yeah we are cheering for her yeah the only reason we have to like her is she's cute yeah. and she is cute but but that's that's not all that's not enough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i want i want more yeah yeah um, yeah so going she's, to she comes across as a completely unlikable character that's the one thing i will say about this version of survivor girl she, Even she's she, in it for herself it, it seems very much and she's also got, and this is sloppy writing, but sort of this psychic knowledge of Jason. But even when, you know, she has a speech which, you know, I could very subjectively said is sympathetic. When she says, I wonder what it would be like to be, you know, yeah. some lost retard wandering in the woods. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, I guess the people drop the R word a lot more regularly in the 80s, but there was just something really blunt and harsh about her, even when she was being quote-unquote sympathetic, yeah. <laughs> right? I don't think she's a bad actress. I, I, the my character is just written as completely unlikable. I, I don't know the script. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's probably the screenwriter's fault, but right. yeah. Oh, we're not going to waste too much time on the plot, much like a lot of the movies. This is basically Baghead Jason. They reopened the camp and uh, uh, a killer wearing a bag over his head. Sort of looks vaguely clannish to me Mm -hmm. at times, but uh, it's sort of got a hillbilly redneck feel. It's almost, you figure one of the cast of Deliverance could be under that mask. Again, we don't know yet. Is he a zombie or what he is? Um... We see for the first time one of his living sort of areas. There's that weird 
house. It looks almost like a cabin or a house in the woods, but it's sort of like one big long room, and it looks like if you pushed on any of those walls hard enough, they would fall through. Yeah. And again, these questions are asked but never answered. Is that where he lives, or is that just one of his little forts that he makes in his spare time? Like, does he have a bunch of these little hovels all over the place? Mm. We don't know. <laughs> but it is an important point, because it's close to where they, uh, these campers are or the counselors are staying. It's within walking distance. And Amy Steele finds the place, and the severed head of Jason's mother is being kept there in some sort of a shrine, and this old sweater. And this, is, of course, is a key to her surviving. Mm-hmm. That is the one sort of brave moment that she has, like where she will, will put on this decaying sweater to try and trick Jason, but again, it implies some sort of psychic knowledge on her part. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, in previous scenes, in spite of seeing all these dead bodies and people being killed in front of her, uh, a rat scares her so badly that she pisses herself while hiding under a bed. Right, (laughs) I remember that. Weird, weird. They stole a death from a famous Italian movie, Twitch of the Death Nerve, where two people are making love and they get sort of skewered Mm -hmm. together with a long sort of spear. Um, the idea of that is good. Apparently, the scene got edited somewhat, so you didn't. It didn't really come out like a big, big grotesque sequence in the movie. You got the idea of what had happened, but uh, part of the thing when they're trying to mix it up as the the movie goes along is who can we kill? What would be shocking? What can we bring into it? And uh, right out of the gate, relatively early, and I guess this is something like, positive we can say about part two. Is that, yeah, we have a very sympathetic character as a guy who's in a wheelchair. And not only is he a dude in a wheelchair, but it looks like he's going to overcome this sort of social stigma and actually get laid. (laughs) And nope. Machete in the face and then push down a flight of stairs. (laughs) Um, And they're going to keep trying to raise the bar. Like I say, I guess points to part two for setting the bar so high early. But subsequent to this, we're going to see twins getting killed. A pregnant woman gets killed. Um people's parents get killed, this, you know, they, they, like, they try and mix it up. I think the only real taboo that Friday the 13th is yet to really touch on is little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never really implicitly said in the mythology that Jason won't kill kids, but in my head, Jason doesn't kill kids. In in, in, in my head, Jason is still a kid himself in a lot yeah. of ways. So. And yes, we can come to the ending. Uh they decide to go for another jump scare, sort of boo ending at the end. And uh, this, without the bag on his head, this sort of feral mountain man looking creature jumps through a window, grabs her, and pulls her out of the window in shocking slow motion. Yeah. And then cut to Amy Steele in the gurney going into the back of an ambulance. Yeah. And she's asking what happened to her boyfriend. And they say they don't know. And credits. Yeah. Not a shot of a body. Not that he went chasing Jason in the woods. Did he save her? Feel like there's a reel missing, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why that choice? Yeah. No, I, like, I think I think the truth is, like, they just ran out of money, in essence, and also ran out of time. That's what almost what it felt like. It was, it was just a very shoddy editing decision. No. So, 
not a lot of positive things to say about part two. There's yeah. a couple of okay kills in it. There's definitely, yeah. they come correct to the, with the nudity and whatnot. They bring to the table everything you expect from a Friday the 13th movie. It's definitely one of the weaker ones of the series, it turns out to be. Yeah. Um, I know. So much went wrong with it. A lot it. of people really like the movie, and a lot of people particularly like Amy Steele, which is kind of odd to me it was considering what we're, uh, we're you agree with me that her character is fairly problematic yeah. I don't think that she's a bad actress and I do agree that she's fairly attractive but her character yeah strange and the fact that the prologue to the movie uh, we say loudly sucks and the ending of the movie makes more, no sense yeah. and the middle of the movie is every slasher movie ever made sort of put through the mill yeah. no if I'm deciding I'm going to watch a Friday the 13th movie and it's not marathoning on television I get to choose it number two is not the one I'm going to grab off the shelf for it to start you know it's just not um, Steve Miner who will be continuing on to direct and does part a better three, job with the next one uh, is going to uh, up up his game a little bit both in the sort of level of kills and the technical filmmaking because as we step forward we're going to see Friday the 13th in three dimensions. Is there anything else you want to say about part two before we move on? No, that pretty much sums it up. Um, yeah, it's not a good movie. It really isn't. Um, it's a Friday the 13th Some movie. of the decisions made in the movie, it is sort of mind-baffling. Like, what? Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part 3, in 3D, directed once again by Steve Miner. Yes, he does return. Um, here's the thing. I don't think that Friday the 13th knew what it was in these first few steps, especially parts 1 and 2. I think part 1, when they were making it, it was just going to be its own thing. Mm -hmm. And if anything, if there was going to be other Friday the 13th, it would be sort of like the same concept Carpenter had for Halloween. Yeah. Every year or so, there'd be a Friday the 13th movie, which would just be a brand name for some kind of horror story. Mm -hmm. But it, it is a franchise, obviously. We're going to review 12 of them. And if you look at it as instead of a series of movies, like a TV show... These are the stumbling first few episodes of the series where when you rewatch them later on, you see some mistakes are made, you know. Mm -hmm. They made some cast changes, some of the character traits aren't as well defined. Mm -hmm. But by round three, I think they've figured out Jason is their, is their killer. Mm -hmm. He doesn't speak, mm -hmm. and uh, they decided to go a different way from the sack head. But the only real distinct thing that they brought to the table for the third movie mm -hmm. is the element of the 3D. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's a better movie overall than the second one, as far as oh, it's miles better than the second one. At least the story's cohesive. Yeah, as far as like the basic story that's being told yeah. and the A, B, and C of it. Yeah. But I'm saying without the 3D element, yeah, it's a very, very 
forgettable, mediocre, you know, uh, movie watching experience. If you can watch it in 3D, I would encourage you to do that. But yeah. otherwise, there are several scenes where people are playing with a yo-yo. Yeah, for the, too you know, long, I mean, that, that's just or they're you know he's you can't help it. I mean, this movie was shot in 3D, so I mean, I, yeah, I get that. But most people who will see this today won't see the 3D version. Is what I'm saying is yeah. they'll probably just watch the standard version, mm -hmm. and that slows down the proceedings even more. Mm -hmm. Now, if you can watch it in 3D those shots actually are worth some entertainment just for, mm -hmm. oh, look at the angles on that. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so Steve Miner's not my favorite director, generally Although he's speaking. Had, he's had quite a somewhat successful career. He's, he's always been working, films. and he does a lot of horror movies. But yeah, I mean, he did uh, that H2O, he did uh, Lake Placid. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if those are your high watermarks, H2O, and the, hey, look, he's made more movies than I have. Yeah. I mean, I do respect but he's never really made anything that just completely blew me away. Yeah. Not everything he does sucks, but, you know, he's mm -hmm. just sort of like a a workman director. He, he gets the job done. No, nothing know? wrong with that. Anyways, yeah. Um, I, w I remember seeing this for the first time, actually, at Place Real Theatre. May it rest in peace. Yes. I will say this about number three. It's got two things going for it. Obviously, it's iconic because it in, it, it introduces the hockey mask. Yes. So you have to give it props. That for is that. the most significant event of this episode. Yeah, I will say this in the sort of overall collection of red shirts, which there are many. I find the red shirts here a lot more fun than a lot of them. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's part of the problem with I'll argue with number seven in a lot of ways, but that's way ahead. <laughs> Anyways, I, I mean, granted, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, there's a lot of 80s tip of the hands. You've got the, the punks, I remember, as the red shirts who died. Yeah, the Cheech um, and Chong couple. The Cheech and Chong couple, uh, the twins, the guy in the wheelchair, yeah. which I think is an iconic kill, if you yeah. want to talk about kills. Yeah. I think that is another one of the sort of sub-threads that you'll notice through the, the, the series. Yeah. Um, who won't Jason kill? Mm -hmm. And in my theory, in my mind, Jason will not kill children. Yeah. We've never seen him kill a kid. We've yeah. seen him lurking around children, and we've seen children hiding from him. Yeah. But we've never seen him pursue or threaten violence on a child. Yeah. So, although there's nothing explicitly in any of the stories that tells us this, in my mind, Jason thinks of himself as a child. Yeah. So... He won't mess with the kids. It's the adults that he has a beef with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know that. But uh, they keep seeming to, like, who won't he kill? I guess Shelley is the one character that we're supposed to really identify with and like. But we hate him so much. That would be the flaw in that character. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So, yeah, we do have a character who is confirmed and is pregnant that Jason kills off. Yeah. In part two, he kills a guy in a wheelchair. Like, uh, they're starting to keep on trying to raise the bar yeah. here. Um, uh, and I think in the the movie we see after this, we have a kid as a major character, mm -hmm. and uh, maybe they're waving that in front of us. Is Jason going to kill a kid? But like I said, no part of me ever felt fear of that happening. Yeah. Um, he does, however. Do you want to say what he does? He does, however. Kill a pregnant woman. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> that's how they raise the bar in, yeah. in, in part three from the wheelchair kill. Um, the kills are, there are some good ones in part three. They're, I think overall they're more brutal than the second one. Yeah. I think from the male perspective, the brutal sort of owl perspective, there is the guy who's walking on his hands yeah. down the hallway and he gets split in two yeah. <laughs> between his legs down. Yeah. 
Ow. Um, there's the head crunch, which results in the eye popping out of Rick's Which is one of, the, one of the best kills of the, of the series. Well, it, it's it's a good kill, but it is not believable. I mean, yeah. I see that wire, even in the 3D version. Yeah. Like, the prosthetic is not that convincing, but it's one of yeah. those kills that I like for what they're trying to do more than the execution in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> And that's another one of the kills where they use the 3D to their advantage yeah. in a better way. Um, another girl who takes a crossbow bow bolt into the eye, mm-hmm. uh, that, that arrow comes right into the screen. And uh, yeah. the, that, that effectively, you know, it takes advantage of the 3D. Mm-hmm. So we can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going back to what I was talking about, like the whole sitcom that sort of hasn't found its feet yet. Mm-hmm. There are things that do break continuity with subsequent Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. The most significant to me is the main character, our survivor girl of this mm-hmm. movie, says to her boyfriend Rick that she had an encounter in the woods with mm-hmm. this crazy man, mm-hmm. and uh, she's seen being chased down. He doesn't seem to have like a weapon. It doesn't look like he's trying to kill her. It looks like he's trying to catch her. Mm-hmm. And then she says she doesn't remember what happened, and everything is hazy afterwards. But by implication, we can only assume that meant she was raped, raped by, by Jason, Jason Voorhees, yeah. and that he didn't kill her. Uh, and like, first of all, we've never known this character as a character that would rape anybody who has any kind of sexual appetite at all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, we've never known him to not kill anyone he's come yeah. across who's violated his territory. Yeah. So. That sort of breaks the rules a little bit. You don't uh, think that Jason's capable of rape? I like again. I have always sort of, and this is me. It's never said in the series. I've always thought of him as a little child. Like mm-hmm. he's sort of stuck where he was mentally when he drowned in that lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but that doesn't mean his sexuality can't at least sort of show its hand. But it is, have we ever seen it in anything before or since? No, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, he is a sort of asexual creature. Yeah. I think he's very territorial, and these people he holds responsible for the death of his mother, mm-hmm. and his mother was the only person in the world who loved him. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think that he wants to fuck that. He wants to punish them for fucking. Like sex is almost like mm-hmm. the sin to him, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we going back to that what we said in part one, the whole Reagan thing, <laughs> where drugs and sexuality are punished mm-hmm. by Jason. He's like. He's a Republican crusader, mm-hmm. right? A, a radical Christian, right? Yeah, you know, like. Yeah. Um, but this seems to be counterintuitive to that, and that's just, I think, a bad wrinkle of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, compared to the travesties that were committed in part two, with the really sloppy beginning and really sloppy ending, I think that it's also worth talking about the very end of the movie too. Yes, the dream sequence. Yes. Yes. Well, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, not as iconic as Jason coming out of the water at the end of Friday the 13th. It's okay. We know it's a dream sequence. It's sort of, you know, need to see that, you know, Mama Voorhees, Pamela Voorhees makes a comeback. It doesn't disturb me as much. It um, is too much the original movie in yeah. a lot of respects. It's yeah. like, okay, the movie's over. We need to have a jump scare because yeah. we've done a jump scare for the last two movies. But getting her out on the boat in the water mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, <laughs> um, yeah. we know where this is going. And uh, they try to sort of distract you with her hallucinating seeing Jason on the shoreline. Mm-hmm. But 
no part of me you know was surprised by something jumping out of the water and grabbing her mm -hmm. the fact that it was jason's zombified mother again uh, it's no sense even if her having a dream in this story she doesn't even get any context on yeah. jason so she doesn't know that backstory yeah. and jason's mother was decapitated and yeah. and, and body and, was and, body was taken away yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I i get it i get it, it doesn't overall it, work none of that makes sense none of that's in her knowledge base even for her to have a dream about it and uh i just it was weak. If they wanted to yeah, have a jump, no, it, if they wanted to have a jump scare for an ending, by all means, do that. But yeah. I agree, it's weak. But in the whole sort of what echelon or series of Friday the Thirteenth, I think for even sort of what it, what it's regularly known for is that you know I found the red shirts entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, the kills are some of the most iconic kills. I mean, partly because it's the three D sure. I do agree that you have to see this movie in three D. Yeah. Um, it does. You know, it, it goes down a notch without the three D. Um, that I, I, there's that lot of, I'm thinking of the three kills that are legendary, which is obviously, you know, him getting chopped in half. Standing on his hands, yeah. Yeah. You know, the killing of the pregnant lady is certainly disturbing. Um, and then there's the, the head squishy scene. I mean, I guess the, the arrow scene is also kind of... It does deliver what you expect from a Friday the 13th. And if you're into a 3D and you have the means to see it in 3D, this mm -hmm. will work for you. Mm-hmm. I think otherwise, it's another entry in the series. It doesn't particularly distinguish itself for me. Mm -hmm. uh, again, the most important thing being Jason finally gets his hockey mask. Um, and uh, like I say, this whole uh, disturbing rape angle is never talked about subsequently. <laughs> like, So I just sort of write that off as sort of a dead end, you know. <laughs> but it is sort of an, an interesting little angle to him. Um, they get it right out of the whole Friday the 13th. They, they do, you know, they have, you know, iconic classic kills. There is the introduction of the hockey mask. I find the red shirts at least amusing, so I have some sort of emotional connection with the exception of Shelley, who we just want him to die. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's sort of the beginning of seeing Jason as our, our, our protagonist in a lot of ways, our lead character. Uh, I'm not saying that I, we're still going to sort of you know fear Jason in this series, at least, at least in the original four, yeah. but by the time number six comes, they realize that people cheering for Jason yeah. so but we're getting ahead of ourselves indeed um, I think it's a combable slasher film are there some creaks and moans absolutely there's you know the flaws of the franchise alive and well the rape side story sure it's debatable whether to leave it in or not I mean I like my Jason asexual I mean it is sort of a you know it's even dirtier but I don't know I like it <laughs> it works before you have felt the terror known the madness and so we came to the hilariously titled Friday the 13th part 4 the final chapter they lied <laughs> those dirty lies those shame dirty on dirty them lies. yeah yeah, um, that's not the first time they lie, actually. I believe in uh, the trailers to the Jason Goes to Hell, which we will eventually get to, they yeah. said, this is your last chance to see him. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah. You lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have a lot of good things to say about Friday the 13th Part 4. I mm -hmm. mean, it still suffers the same sort of familiarity flaws that the 
all of the Friday the 13ths do, and that it's a gaggle of horny teenagers going to someplace they shouldn't and being killed. Yeah. Um, but the director that they brought in to do this, Joseph Zito, seems to be having a little bit more polish to him. It was a masterstroke, I thought. And uh, some of the kids uh, are a little bit more interesting and appealing. Of course, we have Crispin Glover. Yes. It, who it, needs it, to be it, mentioned. Yes. <laughs> and we have uh, Corey Feldman, a very young Corey Feldman. but Who had an amazing summer when this movie came out, actually. Absolutely. So, like, uh, they're... They weren't huge stars at the time, but uh, that's part of the fun about watching old slasher movies is sort of seeing these people before they were famous, quote-unquote, slumming it in a slasher movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that they weren't directly lying, at least to the filmmakers themselves. The studio was probably lying, but the filmmakers legitimately thought when they began production on 4 that they were doing the last Friday the 13th. Oh, yeah, Tom Savini's fucking beaming in this. Absolutely, and... uh, they brought Tom Savini back in. Basically, he created, uh, you know, the monster, let him kill the monster, well yeah. played. And uh, again, as I've said in part one, I'm a huge fan of Tom Savini's effects. Mm-hmm. And as uh, six years had gone by now since mm-hmm. the first movie, he is, you know, even better at them. And he's got more of a budget and more time. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the, the I think because it was Tom Savini and because it was the last Friday the 13th, too, they got away with a little bit more violence. It was still peeled back by the MPA, but mm-hmm. like the kills don't feel utterly removed from the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the movies we see subsequent to this one, I feel like the kills are entirely missed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I feel like the cutting room floor is where the movie actually resides in yeah. a lot of places. Yeah. But not in this one. Even though they did t- tone down some of the deaths, uh, it still feels pretty harsh and bloody and it feels like the real deal. Well, there's that, the head-crushing scene in the shower. Yeah. That's pretty brutal. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Crispin, Glover's, Crispin uh, Glover's, Glover's death. Yeah. I mean, it was peeled back somewhat. But like... They were quick for the mm-hmm. most part, but they're fairly brutal. Jason kills. You yeah, know? I think this is where the the even though it's not the last chapter, obviously this is where Friday the Thirteenth really finds its stride and knows what it is and mm-hmm. owns it. And um, it was just it, people had too much fun with this movie to really allow it to be the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, we know in kind of like Jason at this point. I mean, he kills people, so that's bad, but mm. uh, we like what he brings to us as a form of entertainment. <laughs> I can never really say I'm cheering for Jason. <laughs> I will draw the line at that, but uh, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the final chapter? Well, I think it's a, a sleekly made slasher film. The red shirts are interesting. Um Shall we talk about Crispin Glover now? <laughs> <laughs> well, just Crispin Glover as a personality. Like, uh, I get the feeling when you hire Crispin Glover, whatever character... You know what you're getting. That's whatever right. character you've cast him in, you're still getting a large percentage Crispin Glover. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's okay. There are actors like that that don't necessarily vanish into their roles. Like, I love Christopher Walken, but... I'm always knowing that I'm watching Christopher Walken when I'm watching Christopher Walken. He's yeah. very distinctly himself. Christopher Walken, right? yeah. Uh, and there are other actors, you know, who can sort of vanish into the roles more. And you, don't, you know, they're not so specific and recognizable to their own aesthetic. So, uh, but Crispin Glover is just very distinct. He will make, always seem to make the odd choice. 
and it doesn't always work, but uh, his sort of weird awkwardness comes across quite sincerely. Like, yeah, yeah, you buy it. Yeah, you understand why this guy isn't getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, can sort of, you can sympathize to his plight. Yeah. Like I said, the strange nobility of the quest in so many of these movies of some guy who just wants to be loved. <laughs> um and uh, the characters, uh, broad strokes here, I mean, they're horny teenagers, like I said. Crispin Glover and his best buddy, I think, exclusively talk about sex. I don't yeah. think they have any dialogue that's not about, you know, women trying to get sex or why yeah. they're not getting sex. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody else around them are all in courting mode to, with each other. These are the two single boys on the make. Mm -hmm. um, we have twins. They brought some twins into the fold for this chapter. Did, uh, with one who sleeps with Crispin Glover. Yeah, score for him. <coughs> and an entire family is introduced right across from the cabin where we know Jason's going to come and do business. We have a mother and her two kids, a teenage daughter and her young son. And that's an interesting wrinkle. Again, we were talking about this sort of thread through the series of who won't Jason kill? Well, we've seen him kill teenagers. Clearly anybody who's, you know in his territory is on the menu, but is this family safe? No, they're no, not all. at all. <laughs> of course they're not. Uh, I don't think it necessarily raises the bar on the killing of the pregnant lady or the guy in the wheelchair or mm -hmm. whatever, but no, everybody's on the menu. Um, that's sort of an interesting question once we get towards the end of the movie. Uh, do you think Jason is actively trying to kill Tommy Jarvis at any point? No. It's interesting. I mean, if anything, it could be argued that Tommy Jarvis would, could, could have been the last victim, but he's present and he runs from Jason a lot. Mm -hmm. But even when Johnny or, or when Tommy actually attacks Jason, Jason is mainly on the defensive. I think it, there's a little bit of evidence to my mm -hmm. uh, theory that Jason wouldn't kill a kid, but others would argue it's because Tommy, of course, makes himself look like Jason. Mm hmm. Um, I'm sure this is no great news to fans of the franchise, but the Tommy character does seem to be a tip of the hat to Tom Savini. If you look at his room and all of the masks and all of the, the stuff that he has in there, he does seem to be a young Tom Savini. And in deleted scenes in the film, we see that he actually does do special effects like toys. He has like... Mm -hmm. He likes blood effects and stuff like that. And in a way, that sort of sounded alarms of the, the Shelley thing that we talked about in part three. Mm -hmm. Is this just going to be another series of false scares? Fuck you, false scares. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, the only way the makeup thing comes back into play is that he is able to make himself look like young Jason when he needs to. Very quickly. Very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> No, no. I mean, four is well made. Good for Joseph Zito. Um, and the red shirts are entertaining enough. That poor girl on the boat. Yeah. And the dingy, yikes. Yeah. Um, getting stabbed through underwater. There's been a few scenes of uh, Jason sort of doing these underwater sharky kills. Yeah. He seems to be much quicker when he's under the water. Yes. Yeah. He seems to move quite still. Yeah, no, this is a very stealth Jason. <laughs> I appreciate that. This, this is a Jason that moves. There are problems. Um, continuity fun is always great to discuss with Friday the 13th. This is supposed to be happening immediately following the events of yes, Part 3. Yes, this is the, basically the, 
this you know this later in the evening basically yeah. uh so it's it's not friday the 13th as was pointed out mm-hmm. since this must be saturday, saturday the 14th, 14th again by now at least but one of the characters is sort of mysteriously shows up uh, with a backpack saying that he was looking for bears or something like this. But mm-hmm. the real story is that like he's been on the hunt for Jason who killed his sister. But through the tracking of the story, that happened a couple of days ago. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it just did this epic quest that he was supposedly on that seems like he was... Didn't make sense. It just does not make any continuity sense. Yeah. What? What are you going to do? <laughs> and it's not like Friday the 13th prides itself on its continuity. Uh, they haven't... There's There's been a lot of ticks and hums, as we've already mentioned, but it doesn't even... It, it gets way crazier. Like, by the time we get to Jason Takes Manhattan, we start to question whether or not Crab Crystal Lake is actually a lake or not. <laughs> but we'll get there. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, what do we like about number four? Well, again, like I said, the production has more polish than I think we've seen in any of the other movies so yeah. far. And this is also just that I think we're getting later into the '80s, and and film technology is mm-hmm. improving. The improvised scenes between Crispin Glover and that other actor—what was his name? I can't remember the name of the actor, but basically the two horn dog ones. Yeah, <clears throat> it's amusing, but it's almost mind-numbingly repetitive. Yeah, like I it's, said. and it's clearly improvised. Yeah. We know what the movie's about, right? We don't come to Friday the 13th to hear the witty banter between the kids. <laughs> it's refreshing almost when the banter is decent, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not not there for the dialogue, but yeah, we're here for sex and violence. Yep. And in that measure, this movie definitely de- delivers. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... It's fun, but uh, it doesn't... It doesn't eclipse the fun to take away from quote-unquote suspense or scares. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. The suspense of the movie or the horror elements have not been overtaken by by humor yet, but they're starting to have a little bit more fun with it because the formula is richly, richly established. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we're starting to see a little bit of the humor creep, creep in. It doesn't get fully crystallized until part six, but I think that there are some fairly direct homages, you know, uh, a hot dude is killed in a shower. <laughs> sort of a reverse psycho scene, right? Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know. There's a cleverness and a thoughtfulness. The kills are set up a little bit more. There's a little bit more atmosphere, at least attempted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some cool stunt work. Uh, there's not one but two great falls from the second floor of a house. Uh, one person lands on the hood of a car and the other sort of just does a flip in the air and lands on the ground but uh it's obviously real stunt work and it's shot in slow motion and it's fairly impressive for that mm-hmm. um it it feels like a much bigger budget sort of confident production than we've seen before and uh I, it doesn't seem like the people who are doing the movie are doing it necessarily just as another job. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're used to having young, no-name casts, and, and a lot of times they'd just be excited to be in any movie, and no matter what it was. It's, mm-hmm. They're just happy that it's not porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, 
but the people behind the scenes, you get the feeling like everybody was really jazzed about doing this final chapter of Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a paycheck production, as I like to call it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the director wasn't just smoking cigarettes and saying, yeah, whatever, that should work. You know, Mm -hmm. people cared. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of love put into it. That's what I'm saying. There's not like... I don't think Miner is necessarily a bad director, but it's, he's just there's something workmanlike about it. I don't feel the love. Mm-hmm. He gets the job done. He covers the angles, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I get the feeling that Zito, you know, likes horror movies and uh, you know wants to contribute to the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. No, he earned his due. Yeah. Um, and basically all they did is turn trying to change things up for part four. They've abandoned the 3D, obviously, but mm-hmm. I think a bigger cast of characters and just sort of spreading a wider net. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have twins and the family and a dog, you mm-hmm. know, we'll just add a few different elements that we're not used to seeing here. I mean, does it change the formula at all, having these elements? <laughs> no, not mm-hmm. particularly. No, no. It's basically more meat for the grinder. Uh, I do have a question about the dog jumping out the window. Do you know this scene I'm talking about? Refresh my memory. There's a scene where uh, Jason is upstairs and there's like a weird confrontation and uh, the dog has been established in the house Mm -hmm. and we cut to an exterior shot and it's not exactly clear to me if the dog just jumped out the window Mm -hmm. or if Jason threw this dog out the window, but there's a big sort of question mark there to me. I vaguely Um, remember it. Yeah, but it's strange. Again, did Jason kill the dog? Was that, or did the dog escape? Uh, I think that maybe needed to be more distinct. Is it funny and strange to think it would be too far for Jason to kill a dog? He can kill hundreds of teenagers, right? That's whatever. That's entertainment. But if you kill a dog, fuck you, man. Shit just got real. (laughs) You can't do that. And I think the crown jewel, I guess, obviously, of this particular installment is the return of Tom Savini and the blood effects. Because starting in the next few movies especially, the MPAA is officially fighting a war against horror movies in general, but Mm -hmm. their specific whipping boy becomes Friday the 13th. 13th, If there's anything they can do to hurt the franchise, they will do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I really do think that it's a... The whole organization, especially as far as the rating system goes, is basically camouflaged excuse for censorship. Mm-hmm. Like, taking the sex and the violence out of the Friday the 13th movies is... It, it defeats the purpose. It's it, like, just say we're not allowed to make the movies then. <laughs> just yeah. say it's forbidden. But they can't say that. They won't say that, right? Yeah. But you just can't have movies where there's nudity and violence all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, an era that we are going to be entering into, and maybe this is another reason that Part 4 is kind of one of the treasured entries of the franchise for me, yeah. where horror movies are not PGIs the way they are now in that they're just trying to get a wider audience. Yeah. But they're just neutered by the MPAA so that the scary and the gore and the the forbidden fruit of the sex and violence which is part of the appeal of the horror genre is ripped out of the films mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know mm. it's censorship it just is call it whatever you want They're... but it, it doesn't sort of rear its ugly head till what number six well it starts with number five, and then... Really? Because I think number five is kind of nasty in its kills. But a lot of shit got cut. A lot of shit got cut out of that movie. And uh, by the time you get up to seven, mm-hmm. the like the movies are getting... Neutered. Raped. 
I won't even say neutered. I will say raped. Mm-hmm. I will say they are actively trying to destroy the franchise. And it's funny because the these movies are hated by the critics as a rule, but they're critic proof in a way. They're like, I'm not a fan of the, the Transformers franchise at all, mm-hmm. but the same frustration that I and other people have about the Transformers movies that they're make. Why are these movies making so much money? They're terrible. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're, they're not amazing movies. For yeah. The most part. Like, let's be real about it. They're, yeah. they're, they're simple formula played with slight variations over and over again yeah. but they appeal to a certain audience which you and I proudly call ourselves members of yes. and uh, just because it's an unpleasant subject matter and some people don't understand it and find it icky it's okay to censor it I, I don't like obvious lame you know romantic misunderstanding romantic comedy stuff like that pablum doesn't typically appeal to me I don't like it has to be really funny to get past the, you know, mm-hmm. are they going to get together? Oh, they are, and credits, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But I'm not going to say, you're not allowed to make them, because I don't like them. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, with the horror genre, you're allowed to say that. And uh, I call shenanigans. Um, and yeah, once... Uh, I think Paramount was kind of getting away, or else uh, the MPA... Well, they were uh, embarrassed of this product at this point. They, 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 they you know, sort of wanted to end it between... There was a social stigma to it. Yeah. Uh, for the longest time before, they be started to become profitable. Mm-hmm. These type of movies were late-night drive-in fare, and they weren't taken, quote-unquote, seriously. They didn't have yeah. budgets. Uh, they would make their money back, but they weren't, quote-unquote, box office fodder. Yeah. Uh, and now this... Going into its fourth installment and as strong as ever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, these movies are big business. And I think that that's sort of what was maybe spooking the culture, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's still that residual, we want to pretend like it's the 1950s and everything is roses. And by the way, everything was not fucking roses in the 1950s. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, everybody wants to play Leave it to Beaver and pretend like, you know. There is nothing darkly appealing about sex and violence. I think part of human nature is that we are fascinated in some level with sex and violence. Uh, Is that good or bad? Well, we can have that discussion. But uh, I think that we can't pretend it's not a fact. Uh, This is getting all big and moral and philosophical. Yeah, I was going to say, nice monologue there. Well, but... And I don't think that this movie is dealing and trying to bring up those issues. But I'm saying that this is one of the last... Friday the 13th that we're going to see until it gets into the hands of New Line where they're actually allowed to be a full-blooded Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. And for that, I really like part four. All of a sudden, we're at Friday the 13th, part five, mm-hmm. a new beginning. Mm-hmm. This is a really uh, bizarre one. Actually, if you go back in the annals of Rankin Review history, uh, one of the earlier episodes I did, me and my friend Rick Roshan reviewed this movie in a mm-hmm. what the fuck category. Mm-hmm. 
And at that point, I was lamenting how bizarre it was that we would, you know, have a Friday the 13th essentially without Jason. The, the c- continuing character here is no longer, it's not Jason in this movie, it's Tommy Jarvis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seemed like a great sin to me that they decided to make a Friday the 13th movie without Jason. But Jason is the essential missing element. Uh, the sex and violence contingent is here and very strong. In fact, the amount of sex and violence in this movie is well above normal that you'd see. It does reach trashy levels. Uh, But that's the thing. In spite of it having one of the largest body counts and some of the most prolonged uh, sequences of nudity or whatever, it's probably one of my least favorite entries in the entire franchise. And I don't think it's just that there's no Jason here. There is something... There's weird icky quality to this movie where it's not fun. I know that there's a uh, percentage of exploitation to these sort of slasher titty movies, mm-hmm. but the, uh, usually I feel like the people involved are having fun with it and, and everybody's on board. And uh, this one I didn't feel that. There, it, it felt exploitive. It felt kind of gross to me. Um, it didn't have the same thing we were talking about in part four, where I felt like everybody involved was really psyched about making a Friday the 13th movie. Mm-hmm. It's not like everybody's involved to see, like, what, what can we get away with here? Um, it doesn't have the same sort of lightness, or... It's weird to say lightness about a slasher movie, but I can't think of a better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are uh, across the board less likable than we saw in the previous movie. Mm. We care less about their deaths. And as I also mentioned beforehand, the MPA started to step in and they were, at this movie, mainly focusing on the violence. So uh, it becomes almost as much about the sex as the violence in this movie, whereas typically, uh, yeah, you get some boobage and some sex scenes, but it was a slasher movie. It was kind of about suspense and violence more than it was about... This sort of felt like that weird... What was that... Zalman King show they used to play at night, the Red, Red Shoe. Shoe Diaries. Yeah. yeah, there was a weird element of like, I don't know, like, almost erotica or <laughs> something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, although I understand that sex is definitely a key ingredient to Friday the 13th, I think that there was too much in the brew here. <laughs> but that's my opinion. And I'm, I'm receptive, you know, I'm willing to hear a second one. What, what did you think of the new Well, theme? there's definitely a trashy element to this movie, and it does feel like a fake entry in the Friday the 13th because Jason is not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree just from what we were sort of talking about earlier about the fact that Corey Feldman had that sort of alternative you know, storyline where he was going to be you know, the killer in this version. And I thought that would have been a neat, a neat element to it. Well, we've jumped ahead significantly for the first time. As opposed to the last three uh, Friday the 13th happening more or less concurrently mm-hmm. uh, timeline-wise... Uh, we have to have jumped ahead substantially because Tommy Jarvis has grown up mm-hmm. and been released from a mental institution and sort of going to a halfway house, uh, which is, of course, located at Camp Crystal Lake, which n- nobody so, thought that was a bad idea, idea to send yeah. him back there. Yeah. And I think what they're trying to play is, is Tommy crazy? Yeah. Uh, is he doing these kills? And no part of me at any point thought that Tommy was the killer, but... Uh, when I saw it, especially when I was a kid, I just assumed it was Jason. Yeah. And that's the big sort of 
twist in some people's minds, fuck you in other people's minds, is that this is the Friday the 13th without Jason. Mm-hmm. And is it just that ingredient that makes everything else seem so hollow? It's not like Jason has such a rich personality and always has great one-liners. Mm-hmm. Like, his presence is a blunt instrument, right? Um, and yet, I really felt his absence in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, strange. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, it does feel wrong in so many levels. Besides the trashy nature of it, uh, the, the dialogue is inane, the, the red shirts are not likable. Um, you could feel the, P, the MPA, you know, cutting down on the film. This, you know, this is when it really started to become not good. One of the first kills that we see in the movie, this obnoxious, overweight, mentally something, yet <laughs> I don't know if he was like... If he had, if he was mentally ill or, or or what, but he seemed very strange. It, it keeps on pestering some dude who's chopping wood and ask him if he wants a chocolate bar. But there was nothing authentic about that. I, I, I don't know if it was just a weak actor or a weak writing, but I didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of people who are awkward and want to be included in the group and are left out. In fact, mm-hmm. I can relate to feeling like that isolated character. Mm-hmm. But he didn't feel like a real person. Mm-hmm. And his death, as sudden and, quote, shocking as it was, he just gets randomly killed by one of the other kids in the group, mm-hmm. had no no impact. It was, oh, there's the first kill. Weird that it wasn't Jason. And then there was another kill, and then there was another, and there was another. Rick and I, I remember in our past review, talked a lot about the two hayseed characters the, yeah, yeah. that live adjacent to it, these redneck people who live out in the woods eating squirrels, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. mother and son. And uh, they're really annoying and trill, mm-hmm. and in spite of it, kind of one of the highlight things of the movie <laughs> for me, because mm-hmm. just their boldness, mm-hmm. they were out there and with it. Mm-hmm. But nothing really made an impression on me. Like, there's there's interesting trivia about the movie. One of the characters who's killed, his mm-hmm. last name is Voorhees. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, the inventiveness of the sort of garden shear kill in the eyes is, is good. Mm-hmm. You know? We like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kills, like we said in this movie. But it's basically introduce a character, kill the character. Yeah. Introduce the character, kill the character. Rinse, repeat, recycle. Uh, um, and over and over again. Like, we have a, something of a core group, but we'll cut to a couple that are... Guys picking up his girlfriend after work to go out on a date, and mm-hmm. then they get killed. Or a couple of greasers are having car trouble on the side of the road, and they get killed. We didn't know them before that scene. We don't know, you know, like... It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And again, I don't have a lot of weight for the victims in a lot of the past, you know, Friday the 13th movies, but at least they were characters that were set up in some way. We knew where they fit into the story. This movie really seemed to be on a clock. If we go more than, you know, 10 minutes without a kill, we've fucked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, when you're serving that more than you're serving, you know, whatever simple story you're trying to tell, mm-hmm. I don't know, it washes over you. It's weird because you go to Friday the 13th for sex and violence, and this delivers it in spades, mm-hmm. and yet it's... There was just a certain sort of detachment with the death scenes and even the, sort of the characters. Um, it, it sort of maybe you know go back to number four where we had that he's killing me death or that stayed with you, and granted we you know we sort of you know like the character more, but the deaths in this movie it washes over you along with the sex and 
do. Even the characters that are quote-unquote likable, like uh, I guess this kid Reggie, we're supposed mm-hmm. to find sort of cute and adorable that he's found himself in the situation. Um, but he is definitely pursued, um, but it doesn't necessarily break my rule about kids and Jason because, as I said repeatedly, this isn't Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was talking about the polish of part four and how it really felt like a... Sleek. Yeah, a sleek professional venture. And this is so not that. This is such a step back, too. And, you know, part three was no great shakes, but they were adding the technical element of 3D. And part four, they brought back Tom Zavini. So they were bringing something substantial and new to the table for this one. This is like Friday the 13th, five, give us more money. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Um, And... uh, they felt like the Jason thing was played out. And I guess I maybe understand that impulse because, you know, four movies, five movies into this, uh, you know, they were kind of breaking new ground. Before this, the only movies that would have this many sequels would be like uh, based around a comedy duo like Abbott and Costello or yeah. just a franchisable character a la James Bond or something like this. Yeah. So the fact that Jason Voorhees was coming up on, you know, movie five and six, I think was strangely new territory <laughs> uh they, but this sort of tells me that they didn't know what they had yeah fortunately when we go on to part six i think they really hired somebody who was a fan of the original movies mm-hmm. and brought jason back in a new way mm-hmm. but still having jason mm-hmm. uh it's weird because like i say he's the strong silent type you wouldn't think he has much presence but there's a black hole in the middle of this movie, and I think a large part of the reason is there's no Jason. <laughs> is that fair? It's very fair. It's very fair. It's a big cheat for the whole, you know, fans and lovers of the franchise. Yeah. It does take it sort of, you know, it does. It takes it away. I, even the whole, you know, the, the, his mask is what blue in this one. Yeah, apparently when he's the imposter Jason, the accents on the little hockey mask have blue little features to them. Whereas in the, he has a few nightmares where he sees Jason, real Jason, and, yeah. and uh, it has the authentic mask. But I, I mean, I don't know. It is a poorly made movie. It's you know, it's a, it doesn't have a lot of rewatchability. It's. Just it, again in that sort of bland way. If you were watching a Friday the Thirteenth marathon on Halloween, it, it, the, there's another death coming fairly quickly, and mm. you know there is a hockey mask killer stalking bebreasted <laughs> cast members. So it follows all of those rules, and in a sound off way, I guess you know you can blur your eyes and pretend you're watching a Friday the Thirteenth. But there's it feels like an imposter movie. Mm. This is like. A movie that's just pretending that it's Friday the 13th, but it's not legit. And uh, that's sort of where I land on it. Friday the 13th, part 6. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling alright. I'm feeling alright too. Yeah. <laughs> We've uh, talked a lot of Jason. We have talked a lot of Jason. The, the subtitle of this one is Jason Lives. Mm. And they've obviously learned from the 
volley of part five. When you go to a Friday the 13th movie, you have to bring Jason. Yes, and they also hired a director named Tom McLaughlin, who, A, obviously had a lot of affection mm-hmm. for the Friday the 13th franchise, and B, I think accomplished a really good sort of high-wire act in that he managed to make the show, or the, the movie, a little bit funnier, mm-hmm. a little bit more satirical. Pre-screen. Almost tipping its hand towards comedy, mm-hmm. but still keeping it Friday the 13th, and that it is about, you know, sex and violence. Interesting note, I think this might be the only Friday the 13th without any nudity in it. So, I mean, not that it's a necessary component, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's still it's still quite violent and I guess is an R rated, but it feels lighter. It almost feels like PG thirteen. It's not, but it's sort of got that little bit vibe. Oh no, there's nudity in it. There's, there's a sex scene in it. There's a sex scene, but there's no nudity in the back of the trailer. You're thinking of it. Oh okay. There's some grinding and there's some there's some, there's some loving, but. We don't have the typical payoff. And maybe this is, again, backlash to the sort of weird sleazy vibe of the Part 5. And the movie looks better than Part 5. There's a weird, like, black hole. Like, Part 4, I said, has a lot of gloss and polish. And Part 6 has a lot of gloss and polish. And 5 has this weird made-for-TV or cheaper kind of vibe to it for some reason to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I, I mean, yes, it's sort of a pre preamble towards Scream and that it's letting us have fun and enjoy the series and recognizing in a way that we have seen a lot of these movies and we know the rules. Yes. Uh, and, and good for it. But it's also just implicitly funny. There's like direct references to, you know, other horror movies and uh, one of the characters... Uh, introduces a card game about Jason Voorhees so yeah. you sort of understand that the characters themselves understand there's an entity of Jason Voorhees that I will say with. this the no exit joke in this movie is hilarious yeah there's kids at the camp for the first time in the yeah. series like not just a random kid but a bunch of kids and yeah, one of the little girls falls asleep with the copy of No Exit by Sartre on her chest. Yeah. Because I'm sure that's what 11-year-old girls like to read while they're at summer yes. camp, right? No, because no, there's it's a lot of in-jokes in this movie that's, you know, very cute and quaint. Um, and they do handle the violence quite well. I mean, once again, that it is somewhat... But um, It is somewhat censored, yeah. Yeah, there is a sheen and gloss to it. There's a, you know, there's lots of humor to it. I mean, it, it opens with a James Bond homage, even. Yeah. And I think, again, a really smart choice was to just completely ignore Part 5. Yeah. As I said, there's the Friday the 13th has never been really too prideful about its continuity, but Tommy Jarvis is back. But as far as we know, you know, none of that preamble from the previous movie has happened. He didn't go psycho. He isn't the nouveau Jason. Yeah. As far as we know, none of that has happened. The only sort of true thing we can take is that he's had a lot of mental problems uh, recuperating from his ordeal with Jason as a child. The other great thing that I think that this movie brings and that it echoes through the rest of the series now is not only is Jason clearly some sort of supernatural zombie creature, but Mm -hmm. he has 
superhuman strength at this point. Yes. In the previous movies, he would still be, you know, hobbled, but if he got, you know, slashed in the hand or the leg, it would be a serious wound. It would slow him down, you know. In this movie, you can blast him several times with a shotgun. He is essentially a, a, a Terminator. Yeah, exactly. He's this unkillable force of death. <laughs> and uh, just again, getting it closer to just the core with a very simplistic thing. Mm-hmm. And we talked earlier about the time when, when the movies sort of flip over where it says, okay, before before this part in the series, it was a masked killer that was stalking these kids and there was a survival person, a survival girl typically that we, yeah. would, we would latch on and cheer for. I do think that this is the movie where Jason officially takes the reins and he is our protagonist. Yes. Uh, Tommy Jarvis is arguably another protagonist, but... He is directly responsible, not only for bringing Jason back to life, but subsequently, really, all of the deaths that he causes. Is, yes. And uh, once we leave Jason, you know, stranded at the bottom of the lake at the end of this movie, we never hear Tommy Jarvis again. Uh, the, that sort of part of the series is not even really touched on at all until, I guess, we get into Jason Goes to Hell. So after this, it's like, Jason... Jason is our star. We, they've completely embraced that fact. The lesson has been learned from part five. The fans yeah. require Jason Voorhees, not some imposter, the real deal. Yeah, this is the last movie before we begin the era of Kane Hodder. But yeah. i got to give this guy some points. And there, I think there was actually two people who played. The, the first actor who was cast was a little hefty, a little, yeah. a little too much bulk on him, so they decided to change gears. Uh, some of the earlier scenes... Jason seems to have a little bit more meat on him than mm-hmm. he does in the later shots. So. Um, but I thought that, you know, as a silent performance, it was fine. I mean, I don't think it, it has the same sort of intimidation factor that Kane Hodder would bring to it, mm-hmm. but completely workable, you know. And the actors throughout the movie, there wasn't any loudly bad acting in it. No, that was all quality, solid you know, acting. Tom McLaughlin had a theater history, and uh, he'd obviously you know, had a lot of friends who he'd worked with and trusted, and, yeah. you know, he could talk into doing Friday the 13th Part 6 with a smile on their face, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, that really helps, too, that people weren't hired on the basis of how big their tits were, or, or you know, <laughs> who their mom and dad were. I mean, he hired actors. I, I got to go back again to the fact how well the kills and the humor work together. You're talking about the paintballers. There's that yeah. one guy who has uh, been killed off by a female <laughs> fellow employee, and he seems really wounded by it. And he's mm-hmm. wa- walking through the woods with a machete, talking about how women should stick back in the kitchen and they mm-hmm. shouldn't be allowed to do man stuff. Yeah. And uh, so evil is punished here by evil arguably but uh, yeah. Jason grabs him by the machete and throws him against the tree and uh, he's impaled in the tree his face splashes against a carved happy face in the tree the reaction to that sequence is not you know ew it's sort of ha 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 yeah. and we cut back to Jason and he hasn't just managed to hold on to the machete he's held on to most of the guy's arm it's like he accidentally pulled this guy's uh, arm off like the flies of the wing. And Jason seems as surprised by that as we are, by his newsfound superhuman strength. And it's a weirdly amusing and simultaneously grim <laughs> moment. And, it's well, it's well, well played, sir. That's sort of what this movie manages to, to, to stay on, that very thin line throughout. And I think that not enough credit can be given to how difficult it would be to sway too far to one side or the other. It would be really easy to suddenly go too goofy or really easy to go suddenly too dark yeah. and the two 
two extremes will not balance, mm-hmm. but somehow it's balanced just right. And uh, I got to give a big points to that. And uh, not to slap Williamson and the Scream creators, but one thing I get tired of hearing is how what a game changing thing that Scream was that they were very oh no sincere, no no cool there was lots of horror comedies and, and long self-aware. before Scream. I think that what Scream did was put it front and center. Yeah, you know this 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 is throughout the movie, but it's not what the movie's about. But it's seated in there. But yeah. this is well more than ten years, or at least ten years before Scream. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I and think it gets not. due credit. And there's plenty of other 80s, and l- late 80s and early 90s movies that have that within it. Yeah. There's a little bit of winks and nods. Uh, Scream just decided to take it out of the back seat and put it in the driver's seat. Yeah. Um, but no Friday the 13th Part 6, no Scream. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's sort of disappointing that this movie took a sort of a financial hit because... It is far superior than I would say a lot of the movies before, you know, before it. Yeah. And in a way, it was a creeper hit in that it was. It still made like almost twenty million dollars in the box office. The rate of the money spent to the money made was yeah. still enough to justify making more of them. But it was yeah. one of the lowest grossing of the series up till that point. Yeah. And uh, I do think again, I blame Part Five for that. Yeah. That said, it was sort of one of these movies because of the burgeoning and new successful market of home video. Yeah. They could start measuring movies that uh, were hits on at home. Yeah. A lot of films that weren't necessarily box office hits were starting to get you know, big payoffs and, and, and video. And they saw that yeah. for Friday the 13th Part 6. The fans found it, mm-hmm. but they didn't line up for it. They were, you know, yeah. they got around to it. Yeah. And they kind of earned that with Part 5, in mm-hmm. my mind. Unfortunately, McLaughlin and his company had to take that hit. Yeah. But I do think if you talk to a lot of hardcore Friday the 13th fans, they will say Part 6 is one of the best entries. Yeah, no, and, no. And uh, I think that... If somebody wanted to watch a Friday the 13th movie and they were new to the series, short of just saying, watch them chronologically, which makes sense. But if you're going to watch a random chapter of Friday the 13th, yeah. I would probably steer you in this direction. I would steer you to six, because it's, it's not as uncomfortably sleazy with the sexuality and the yeah. nudity, like I said. And the kills walk the line between horrific and fun. There, yeah. is, there is sort of a lightness to the proceeding, in spite yeah. of the fact that there's an insane body count. Yeah. And uh, it is fun. It is a fun Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. It might be the most fun Friday the 13th movie. It definitely knows what it is. It plays with it. And it does it with a smile. Yeah. Um, and I get it's now knowing that, you know, this mind director. Yeah. Well, you know, used, to quite, used to be a mind. It's it? like once you're a mind, you can't uh, be anything else. else. Yeah. 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 He's not a writer, it, an artist, or a director. He's a fucking, fucking mime. mime. Yeah, <laughs> no. It, it just sort of, you know percolates all through this movie in a lot of ways I don't know yeah it, it makes me smile and it is a quintessential Friday the 13th movie it knows that it had Jason is back uh, and it kind of basically comes in you know all the Frankenstein references or even you know that he's a zombie it embraces it it's a well-made movie uh, Tony Goldwyn Yes, is also in it. Shows up briefly in this movie. I and think he Richard. actually literally has one scene in the movie. <laughs> He's much. definitely one of these characters that is introduced to be killed. But um, yeah, it's interesting to see him, and it's sort of like uh, he's sort of, I guess, a B or C level celebrity by any accounts, but still recognizable. And he seems to make good, have good luck with the horror genre. You know, mm-hmm. there's you know lots to recommend here. There's lots to see. Yeah, uh, I, 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 it also lends credence, by the way, to my whole theory about Jason Voorhees. Uh, 
Doesn't kill kids. Not killing kids. He's not necessarily protecting the kids. He yeah. definitely scares them. Yeah. Uh, but he walks through a room full of kids. Yeah. Between their beds where they were sleeping and helpless. Yeah. And uh, he's checking them out and he's sort of curious about them and, and looking at them. But even when he leans over that little one girl's bed and sort of eyes her because he can tell that she's awake, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily feel the threat of death there. It was, it was, yeah. little, it was almost like... A, I'm glad they went there. You know, what would happen if a bunch of little kids was on Camp Crystal Lake? I'm glad they did go there. Yeah. Um, and the fact, the fact they did kill, you know, good, whatever. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad, you know, that answers that sort of question. Giving him superhuman strength as well gave them license to do more, a little more inventive kills, or else kills that are a little more believable. I guess we'd yeah. already seen him squish heads, and a lot of people will tell you that I don't care how strong you are, you're not going to squish a human skull with your hands. Yeah. But, you know, he twists a girl's head off yeah. <laughs> in this movie, and uh, the legendary uh, sheriff getting his back bent over backwards, snapping yeah. in the ground, like, great stuff. Great stuff, and again, a fairly bloodless kill, and yet one of the more brutal, brutal in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I also want to give big points to the solution they found to how they were going to stop Jason in this movie, because they establish right. him as being so powerful and so unstoppable. Yeah. They bring it back to his origins of drowning in the lake. They they find a way to drown him in the lake, and that's where we leave him at the end of this movie. He's yeah. chained to a rock and, and sort of floating at the bottom of Crystal Lake. And, uh, you know, I gotta get, I keep going back to it, but I gotta give this writer-director a lot of credit. He, he obviously liked the series, and he took those the elements that were working and, and accentuated that. He brought a, a, a sort of sense of humor and a bit of a rock and roll attitude to it that we mm-hmm. like. And, uh, some cool, great centerpiece moments. Mm-hmm. I've always been a huge fan of the motorhome kill sequence. Yes, yes. <laughs> the bending into the wall is impressive. Yeah, uh, and uh, in that Crystal Lake Memories movie pointed out that the kid who gets killed in the motorhome is the nephew of John Travolta. And uh, I remember sort of when we were watching the movie thinking of him as like the John Travolta looking guy. <laughs> so that's a weird coincidence. Uh, the fact that they do drown him in Crystal Lake is a you know a nice touch, a nice nod, um, and it does continue the Tommy Jobber story. I mean, it's sort of sad to see Tommy go after this. I thought they could have done more with him and Jason, but yeah, what but do I know? I think that they've committed to Jason now. They understand yeah. that that's their star. That's the key product. Yeah. Peripherally to Part Six, Jason is becoming a huge entity in pop culture generally. Yeah. You know, people have Jason Voorhees coffee mugs. Yes, the cult, the, the cult of Voorhees had started at this point. Yeah. And uh, so, in a way, it might have been a, a bit of a surprise to the Friday the 13th people that Part 6 was financially not as successful, still successful, but not yeah. as successful as the rest. But... Now we've got a confident foot. We know what a Friday the 13th movie is. Yeah. Uh, I think that 4 kind of was the one that really sort of established it. It was a big sort of misstep with 5, but 6 yeah. brought it back to where it was. Yeah. This, from going on here, in a, in a weird way, is sort of where we get into the quintessential Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th movies. But we're also winding down the last few days, or the few features of the Paramount Friday the 13th. It's a, you know, a brisk, you know, was it 90 some minutes? It's, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Um, it, you know, once again, it looks professional, it looks sleek, it's a lot of fun, it makes fun of itself. There's a great scene with when the motorhome flips. Yeah. And Jason Voorhees climbs out the side door and stands above his 
kill Victorious with the yeah. smoke around him, and it's almost a superhero moment. And yeah. part of me was like, ah, awesome, and another part of me is, where have we landed? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jason is our hero. Yeah. He just killed two innocent kids, and I'm all smiles. Yeah. <laughs> but this time, someone is waiting. Friday the 13th, part 7, The, the New, New Blood. Blood. Um, this is officially where the MPAA gets way out of hand. Yeah, they do slap this movie and rape this movie. Um, the bulk of the uh, special effects, at least when it comes to the kills in the movie, have been removed. Um, and it's almost a PG movie in a lot of ways, as mm -hmm. it stands now. So... With most of the nudity and the violence cut out of the film, when you boil down part seven, what it comes to is Carrie versus Jason. Yep. Yep. Our central Survivor Girl character has the added twist of being psychic. And yes. uh, she's able, she can manipulate things with her mind, and she's able to be a worthy opponent to Jason. And that ends up being the sole interesting factor of Part 7, because everything else that we've come to expect about a Friday the 13th movie has been ripped out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a problematic entry in the series. Um, I think that it still has some basic entertaining level once we finally get to the fight, mm -hmm. in a way that sort of seems like a rough draft of what we were going to see in Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> mm-hmm. But finally having this now super-sized, super-powerful, evil Jason come up against someone that is a worthy opponent. Until Freddy vs. Jason, nobody does as much damage to Jason Voorhees as this Tina woman does. Yeah. Uh, and that is significant. And it's good that they have a huge 15-minute showdown fight at the end of the movie because everything else, like I say, is been edited, the, the money shots are out of the movie, and the stuff that remains are a bunch of characters who don't have a lot of chemistry, yeah. and who aren't particularly memorable or likable. Yeah. Uh, freshness is going to be a problem when you hit part seven of any series, mm -hmm. and I like that they were trying something with this psychic chick, but in the end, uh, I find it kind of problematic. Where well, do you land on part well, seven? Well, basically, this series was starting to be very exhaustive. I mean, they were, they were stretching for ideas, clearly. The, um, the restraints that the series had were starting to really show its color. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it is... It's, there was a lot of tragedy with this movie, the fact that they did cut out, you know, the sex and violence. The MPA was very conservative. The flaws in the movie are not entirely its creator's yes, fault. Yes, yes. I will say that. Yes. Um, the main star of this movie is actually Kane Hodder, yeah. who definitely earns his paycheck in this movie with the last 15 minutes where it becomes almost a uh, Charlie Chaplin or a stunt you, movie basically a, 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 yeah a stunt we movie we see full body burns we see falling through stairs we see uh, 
you know, when the roof collapses on top of him and being thrown and shattered and, uh, like, uh, it's a, it, like I say, he has a, for the first time ever, a worthy adversary. Yeah. Which, by the way, there should be a best stunt at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, they really should. They really, really should. should. But anyways, I digress. Um, so that is the main selling point, is that it does introduce us to an actor slash stunt person who was Jason for four more movies? He went through to part ten, yeah. Yeah, so, so um, that's the main selling point. Um, there are some cute little, you know, antidotes. You know, the explosion of the house is, you know, quite funny, especially considering, you know, the stories leading up to it. Um, yeah, the uh, unfortunately, there was some sort of error in the pyrotechnics, and what was supposed to be a somewhat subdued, slow explosion, yeah. you know, turned into this <laughs> obliteration of the cabin. The yeah. explosion is not justified, other than, you know, Jason's evil is very explosive. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there is a rather cool shot in the dark involving lightning that... Uh, uh, is also in the movie with Jason sort of hanging, you know, just sort of in the back wall there as characters went through the house. Yeah. That Someone is... passes through a room with Jason in it without actually seeing Jason. Yeah. It reminds me of the scene at the end of part two where uh, Amy Steele, whatever her name is, is saying, there's someone in the room. There's someone in the fucking room. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of, yeah, that's sort of one of his favorite moves. I think there is there is a little bit of stalking that Jason likes to do. Yes. He likes to watch his prey for a little while before he kills him. He plays with his food. Yes. So, and so and well-earned. Um, but it does it does feel very much like a blank kind of movie. You know, you, you don't really feel a whole lot. You know, one of the things, you're, the reasons why you're there is taken away. It's almost like it's a cheat. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's just not a lot going for this movie in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, like I say, it's almost salvaged by the fight and the showdown between Jason and the psychic. Yeah. And I, and I think on a premise level, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, we haven't seen any other supernatural things other than Jason, but clearly supernatural things do exist. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I have no problem with that in, in a premise level. But that's all we get. We don't get what we, like you say, what you came for. The, the good kills are not there. Yeah. And the real heartache of the movie is that if they didn't destroy all of the excised footage, I wonder if we had the complete version of this movie, if it wouldn't be one of the better entries of the franchise. We'll never know. I guess I didn't quite buy into the whole Carrie storyline, maybe as much as you did. But I mean, I, <laughs> if I we can accept an immortal, you know, yeah, yeah, unkillable I know. Jason, I didn't find it a leap to accept a psychic. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I, I just. I guess I didn't connect with it in the same way, yeah. you know. But but regardless, it is a Jason movie. Um, it's all right. I give points for imagination. Yeah, uh, we haven't seen uh, the director is clearly talented, and I think he was dealt at you know a shitty hand, if you will. There's a cool scene where she you know psychically makes the roots of the plants wrap around Jason's legs and yeah drags him into a puddle of water and then drops, uh, you know, an electric wire in him and, and cooks him, you know. Yeah. Um, it just provided opportunities that you hadn't seen in any other of the Friday the 13th. And the level of spectacle as far as, you know, the big explosions and the physical acrobatics and the fights are good. But that's not necessarily what Friday the 13th is. Yeah. Friday the 13th typically is a sort of suspense punctuated by shocking bursts of violence. Yeah. And like I've said repeatedly, boobies. <laughs> <laughs> boobies. Uh, as long as there are teenagers, slasher movies and movies of this ilk will, you know, have an audience. 
Yeah. Most people outgrow them by their early 20s, but not me and you, apparently. Sad. <laughs> maybe it's sad, maybe it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I like this film for what it wants to be more than for what it is, but yeah. I, can't, I can't deny that there's some large and loud problems. And uh, it's not even all the MPA. as much as I would like to blame the MPA, There's not much chemistry in the cast. Yeah. And outside of Tina and her doctor, who is this complete asshole, yeah. and uh, her would-be love interest, who we don't feel much vibe for, the only other really memorable characters I can think of in the movie was this blonde sociopath <laughs> bitch who is uh, yeah. really competing with Tina and is cruel to her. At every opportunity. Just so her demise is like, woohoo, yeah. Don't care. Don't care. Don't care. The, you know, the other people, again, just the... We've seen them so many times now that it's hard to pay attention to and stay focused. You know, there's an ugly duckling who goes through a transformation and tries to be one of the cool kids. And yeah. we all know where the story is yeah. going. She doesn't get the guy. She doesn't win. There's no win for her. She's not the central character of the yeah. movie. So the more time we spend with her, the, the more I feel kind of... It's just fat on the movie in a lot of ways. The performances, again, aren't bad. A lot of times you'll run into, in these slasher movies, you know, new actors who have just really rugged and awkward. I didn't think that the performances were, or that the actors were necessarily bad. I just didn't think that there was a lot of chemistry of the group. I didn't feel like this was a group of friends. Yeah. It, it seemed very cold and distant. Yeah. No. Overall, this movie is, there's just kind of nothing to it. It washes over you and you feel nothing <laughs> I have to talk about the framing mechanism of this movie because the framing mechanism well we see at the very beginning of the movie uh, a young Tina as a child yes is responsible for killing her wicked father who yes. was an alcoholic and was beating on her mom yes and uh, she plummets him into the lake this is all preamble to give an excuse when she comes back to the lake all these years later. She stands before the, the lake and wishes her father back to life. Yeah. And instead of bringing her father back to life, she brings Jason back to life. Yes. There may be a vague, confusing disconnect to that as a premise, but I will take it. But what I won't take is when we get to the end of the movie and there's a showdown happening on the docks. And her father, who was drowned in the lake decades later, yep. erupts from the water and drags Jason back down for yet another watery death. I've said it in the podcast many times before. Yeah. Fortunately, I will probably say it many times again. Yeah. And I'm saying it again here, right now. That, as a plot element, is cheesy and stupid. I'm sick of it. I don't like it. You kill off a character, kill off a character. You yeah. know, I, the ghost of some fallen person of the cast coming back to save the day pisses me off. It's a cheap ploy. It's a very cheap ploy. The only distinguishing away. factor that this has is I think this might be the first time I saw it. I was probably 12 or 13 when this movie came out somewhere yeah. in that neighborhood. And it was the first time I saw like that twist in the movie. Mm -hmm. But even at that age level... I thought it was lame and stupid. And you know what? Even without the kills and the and the sex and the sort of the sin factor that you typically yeah. would come to see, I might have almost given the movie a pass just for the spectacle of Jason versus Carrie. Yeah. And there was pretty good... It was a good, decent showdown, like I said. Yeah. And we got to see Jason without the mask for like the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie, which is also kind of cool and... 
Kane Hodder's physical presentation of Jason is very intimidating. Yeah. I think that there would have been enough things working, and knowing how much was working against the movie, I would say conditional pass. Yeah. Until that fucking ending, man. Yeah. Yeah. You and know. Uh, you know the, that 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 shits. That's where the movie really shits a bit. I would have I saw flaws, but would have looked past a lot of them. Yeah. Until that point, and like, and that even if we did have the pristine, unfettered, fully you know, uncut version of Part yeah. Seven, would still be a problem. That would still be stupid with yeah. the end of the movie. But at least we could say we we got an honest, full-blooded Friday the Thirteenth, and. Uh, You'd think that there is no way they could make a more PG compromised, lame version of Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. But you would only think that because you hadn't seen Friday the Thirteenth Part Friday the 13th retrospective. We managed the first seven films, so a week from now I will be dropping part two, in which we will be reviewing five more movies, and then ranking them all, and then handing out some awards. Usually there'll be a two-week hiatus, but for an event this big, we're only going to make you wait one. Thank you so much for listening to this special edition of Rank and Review. Please seek us out on iTunes and give us a positive review that helps people find the show. Uh, If you could find us on Facebook and like us, that would uh, help me as well. Feel free to comment on our photo gallery and some of our albums or rank the movies from past episodes to let me know what I got right or what I got wrong. It's always good to hear from a Rank and Review listener. Until next week... From your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons and special guest Lee Beckman. We'll see you soon, and thank you so much for listening.